I had some thoughts that the Lord has uh, laid on my heart early on. As soon as he, Mike asked, I said, yeah, I got something that's on my mind. But I only need three weeks to do it in, though, Mike. Is that, <laughs> we're, uh, we'll jam with this. But uh, I like uh, Mike's uh, tradition here with us, in a sense of tradition, but something we do every Sunday. And I ask you to stand with me. Turn to Ephesians chapter 6, beginning reading in verse 10. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. I'll read and then ask that you to listen along with me. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything, to stand firm. Father, I want to thank you for the instructions that you give us in your word and how to live life. Not only how to live it in a way that pleases you and honors you, but in a way that is fulfilling and complete and results in peace and joy in our hearts and lives each day. Lord, we would desire to experience what you've given to us in you. And help us today to understand the context in which we live our life and help us to understand the path that you've given to us that we can live in a relationship with you that's whole and complete. To that end, Lord, we commit this morning to you in your word, in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. I'm going to uh, move fairly uh, rapidly through the uh, first page of your notes. If you look, you're going both sides. You go, Ed, where do you think you're going today? I only gave you, I gave you the front page's uh, context is that uh, you can go back and study for yourself and see. But I want you to see the context in which we live our life. You know, we just read a statement here that, um, uh, that we're involved in a spiritual struggle that involves spiritual powers and dynamics and dominions and, and, and where in the world, you know, I don't know if you're in touch with that every day. I'm going to guess that you probably haven't given much thought to that in this past week. Except when the really major things come down. Or when you see the very overt activity of Satan in the world and, and things you read in the paper or what you hear from missionaries and reports or things you've experienced when you've traveled overseas. But I think most of us are not really conscious of the spiritual battle that goes on day by day in very intricate, subtle ways that all chip away at the, at the strength and the, and the foundation that we have in Christ. That sap the joy from us, the peace from us. Because we yield to them, unconscious of the fact that it's a spiritual battle going on. And that God has given us a plan, a path to take to come out victorious in the midst of this battle. And that's where I want to go with you this morning a bit. But just a quick overview to you here. So what's the struggle we're talking about here? It's a spiritual battle. It's our flesh against the spiritual world. It's light versus darkness. It's good versus evil. It's God versus Satan. And I want us to understand our position that we have as believers. One is that we're secure in God. 
And you'll find, and, and I've given you the references in the outline to this whole first page. They're all there if you can read uh, ten point type. If not, you know, get yourself a magnifying glass or I'll get you one. But uh, I gave you the whole outline there so you don't have to spend a lot of time writing. But we're secure in God. Nothing can separate us from His love in Christ Jesus. Life can't, death can't. Spiritual powers, dominions, nothing can separate us. It says in Romans 8, 38, 39. And we're also told that as a believer, we have an adversary. We're told that he's like a roaring lion, going about seeking whom he may devour. And I'm going to guess you haven't given any thought to that this week. I'll tell you some of my stories, and you'll understand that I know a little bit about his bite. But there's also the unbeliever's position that we need to be aware of, and that is that according to 1 John 5.19... The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. To the one who is outside of Christ, he's captive of Satan. And I don't know today if you've come to a place of of faith and trust in Christ Jesus or not, but if you haven't, Scripture tells us that, that he's your father, not God. And that you're his captive and that he's blinded you. But we know too in the context of what we find in Scripture that as an unbeliever I can come, God has provided a deliverance for us. And I like the way that, um, that Paul expressed it in his testimony uh, in Acts chapter 26. Uh, speaks about God's call to him. He's standing before uh, Agrippa giving a defense of uh, his belief and faith in Jesus. And in this he tells his testimony about how he came to Christ. And uh, the encounter that he had in it, it says in, um, in uh, verse 15, chapter 26 of Acts, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And his name at the time was Saul, not Paul. But he says, but get up and stand on your feet. For this purpose I have appeared to you, to appoint you a minister and a witness, not only to the things which you have seen, but also to the things that I will appear to you. Rescuing you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles, to whom I am sending you. And this is to the Gentile, to the unbeliever. This is what God sent Paul to do and what God offers to you and me in in coming to him. He says this, that Paul would go to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the dominion of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. That's the deliverance that God offers to every person on the face of this globe. A deliverance from darkness to light, from Satan to God. To a life that's full and complete and full of peace and joy and contentment. A life that's full of confidence, energy, meaning. And that's the life to which God's called us. We have the believer's position, the unbeliever's position, and a call to us all to come. And we have some descriptions in the scriptures here of our enemy. Just a couple of them that are here. One, he's called an angel of light. He looks really attractive. He looks really good. We find that in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. We find that uh, uh, he, he's the one who maneuvers in us to attract us to things that take us away from God. And he's usually pretty good at it. Our world and our society is full of attractive things that take us from God. In John chapter 8, Jesus calls him the father of lies. He's the source of lies. 
And we find that the name, the name devil given to him actually means false accuser. The word devil means false accuser, and that's one of his activities. We find, too, that the word Satan means adversary, the one who's opposed, opposed to God and against you. We read in Ephesians chapter 6 that his schemes, uh, the Satan's schemes, uh, are known. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul makes that statement, we're not ignorant of Satan's schemes in our life. And and some of these I've listed for you here. One is that he's a deceiver. He deceives us. We find it first recorded there in Genesis chapter 3 in the garden. Micah took took us down that path early on. I said, well, he comes to Eve and he says, um, says, look how beautiful the the fruit is here. And And Eve says, no, if we eat of the fruit of this tree, we'll die. And what does Satan say? Surely you won't die. You know, he's a deceiver. Plays with our minds. Causes us to think that which is black is white. And because it's attractive, we embrace it and walk down a path into darkness. And we don't see it till we're there. I love this story, Pinocchio. <laughs> you know, all the attraction of uh, being, being a human being and being someone who can go about and make decisions and decide to do where I want to go and do what I want to do and I don't care what, what dad says even though he's my maker I'm going to go do whatever and he ends up down in this big carnival thing that's really attractive and ends in the pit and ends in the belly uh, the, 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 the whale you know, and, and that whole story is such a beautiful picture of what happens to you and me because of the attraction of the things that uh, Satan brings to our attention, and we give in. We find that he tempts. Uh, he is a source of temptation for us. And I said the only way that he can be a tempt, uh, any kind of temptation to us is if there's already a bent in us to do something. If we're not bent to do something, I can't, you know, if I've determined I'm going to lose 20 pounds, and my life depends on it, that's what my doctor says. You know, if that's the case, he hasn't said that yet. But if, you know, if he said that, and I'm sitting there, and I've got to lose 20 pounds, you can put all the sweets and good tasting stuff in front of me you want, and I have no interest in it. But the scripture says there's a basic core in us that's bent towards some things. And Satan plays off of those in our lives. And we find that in the example of the temptation that Jesus uh, encountered in Matthew chapter 4. And uh, uh, there, uh, the Spirit of God, got that? The Spirit of God led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. Somehow in the middle of all my temptations, I've got to remember, God has not left me. And all his resources are still there. And I come down and I look at this, and, and what were the temptations? I, turned, I mean, he, he, Jesus hadn't eaten for 40 days. And Satan comes along and says, you know... If you are the Son of God. That's the first thing he does. He creates doubt. Of course he's the Son of God. But he poses the question, if you're the Son of God, you know, turn these stones into bread and eat. He's hungry, naturally. So he's appealing to something that's natural in Jesus at that point. He's hungry. And the second temptation comes along, Jesus takes him to the, to the temple and puts him on the top of the pinnacle, it's, you know, uh, hundreds of feet above the ground below, and he says, jump off, because the scripture says the angels will protect you. 
You know, and he certainly is appealing to, to the basic pride of man. Say, yeah, I'll show you, Satan. I'll show you what God can do. I'll show you what those angels will do to protect me. He appealed to that pride. And it come down to what's it, the, uh, uh, the, the last one. Jesus, uh, Satan took uh, Jesus up to the top of the mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the earth. And he says, if you bow down and worship me, I'll give you all this. Uh, duh, Satan. He already owns it. You know, but here we are with these temptations, but a temptation to have, to be in power, to greet. And I find this is really interesting that in John, in his first letter that he wrote, um, made, a, made a statement in here concerning our basic nature. For in uh, chapter First John chapter two verse sixteen, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passed away, and also its lust. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, the boastful pride of life are core things in us that Satan constantly uses to draw us away from God. To tempt us. And we find too that in Luke chapter 8 verse 12 in the, in the parable of the, uh, uh, the sower and uh, the one who was casting the seed, the farmers casting the seed on the ground, some fell on the hard ground, some on rocky soil, some in the weeds and some on good soil. And and the seed grew in some places and others it didn't. And the seed was the word of God. And the picture in, in Luke chapter 8 verse 12 is that the seed that was cast onto the ground that was hard, Satan comes along and snatches God's word out of that person's heart and they're in, unresponsive to it. And so the condition of your heart and my heart has a whole lot to do with the ability of the God's word to, to set down into our life and take root and make a difference. But Satan, Satan thwarts God's work because we allow him to. We allow our heart to be what it is. We also find that he's the accuser. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 7, in the list of qualifications for those who would be elders, he said, pick someone who's of good reputation, lest they fall into the snare of the devil. So you pick somebody who doesn't have a good reputation, you pick somebody who's struggling in their life and is inconsistent in their life and the snare of the devil as he comes and he accuses. And so we have to watch our heart and our life and watch the schemes that he does. So what does the struggle look like? It's good versus evil. It's light versus darkness. And I make these distinctions. To one, it's yielding. To the other, it's demanding. I'm going to yield my way or I'm going to demand my way. That's the biggest crux of the struggle for you and me as we seek to walk in a spiritual way in Christ. Am I going to yield to what God wants? Am I going to be obedient to what I know He wants? Or am I going to demand my way? Think on that the next time you're on the freeway and driving. Just as a kind of a reminder, because it's only a picture of what happens in our life, in our decisions, and our manner of living throughout the day. Am I going to choose God's way or my way? I remember the encounter that Jesus had with Peter in Matthew chapter 16. And uh, uh, 
Jesus uh, was describing that there's going to be hard times and stuff that are coming. And, um, and uh, Peter says, you know, I want to build my temple. I, you know, let's build a tabernacle here and let's just stay here and we'll do what we're going to do. And, uh, and Jesus turns to uh, Peter and says, uh, Satan, get behind me. Now, Peter wasn't Satan, but Jesus saw Satan present. Get behind me. I'm on a different path than comfort and power and praise that you can bring to yourself. Jesus was on a path that was going to take him to the cross for you and me, paying a penalty for our sin, a penalty that we deserve. Peter had his way. That would have never happened. That sounds painful. I don't want to go there. Matter of fact, when when Peter saw Jesus being arrested, Peter backed up and said, I don't even know the guy. Are we going to go God's way or my way? And another contrast I'd bring to you this would be that uh, it's either a focus of other interest or self-interest. Am I focused in yielding? Yielding to God's way and focused on other people? How to encourage, be a part of their life, support them? Or am I focused in demanding and demanding my own way out of self-interest? That's some of the core of the struggle. And it's where I'm going to go here in a second in terms of our attitudes that I want to focus in this morning. I ask the question, when an offense is followed by harsh words from the one offended, and there's vengeance and resentment, and we hold on to those harsh words, that offense, which was ungodly? The person who offended or the person who justified their harsh words in return. I said, there's only one way for you and I to live in a way that pleases God, a way that ends and results in in peace and joy in our heart and life, and that is to choose God's way. Whatever that cost is for you and me. And so I ask, what does your heart look like? Call them on the left, call them on the right. Solomon tells us in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Heart is core to us. It's where all the decision takes place in, in us and the sorting of uh, life and experiences. Place where we have our values. And I want to suggest to you this morning that your attitudes reflect your heart. So if you want to watch over your heart and guard your heart, I'd ask you to do this. Do kind of an inventory of your attitude. Do an inventory of your attitude this last week. Can you recall situations, circumstances of your week that were not pleasant? What was your response? You know, can, you, can you think of some things that happened this last week that um, you just don't have an answer for, that, that it was a struggle for you, maybe painful for you? What was your response? What was your attitude in facing the issues that are coming day in and day out living? Because that attitude is a reflection of your heart and the spiritual battle that's going on in your heart. Now, I don't like what I just said to you, by the way. Because 
I've had one of those weeks, several weeks recently, that I guess I would have called the uh, weeks from hell. Now, it's just not, it's, it's, it's totally apart from almost everything that's going on here, so I'll be specific here with you in that. And that is that um, uh, the first thing was I had to turn 65. That was close to, close, to, close to the worst thing I could think of. And the government then Im- imposed upon that this thing called Medicare, which means I have to change my insurance. Now, are you still with me at all? Okay, so I had a change in my medical insurance, which means Carla gets dropped off because she's my dependent, and she has to go to COBRA. Well, short on all this, uh, the insurance company never made the change for Carla. She was without insurance most of December. It, I just Everybody I talked to gave me a different story, and we're running around all over the place, and she's got to pick up prescriptions. And her, and her $130 prescription, which we normally pay 25 for, she's got to pay full value because we don't have any deductible, we don't have any insurance. You're still with me. How do you think I responded to all that? Well, actually, I did pretty well for the first few days. But I looked at all this, and I said, and and Carla makes the observation, what are you speaking about Sunday, Ed? Maybe you want to be a little more careful in choosing your subject next time. Because God's given me all kinds of opportunity to, uh, to practice and to see where I come up short and how I can walk in faithfulness with Him. My attitude or my mental posture, my perspective uh, on any issue, any situation is a reflection of my heart. Some people tend to be positive in, in most situations in their life. Uh, sometimes you irritate me when you're like that. Actually, convicting would probably be a better word. And some are negative about most things in life. And a word that you could look up, because when you're negative, you take me down. Some are optimistic, hopeful, solution-oriented, embracing, reconciling. And some are pessimistic, anxious, angry, arrogant, self-focused, confrontive, I just threw out a few adjectives that maybe would help land someplace. Paul writes about a distinction um, between uh, two groups of people in Galatians. Galatians chapter 5. We spent some time in Galatians last year, and I just want to review just this one portion here with you. For you were called to freedom, brethren, in Galatians 5.13. For you were called to freedom, brethren, not only, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. You've been in those situations. You've been in those conversations. You've participated in them. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evidence, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, Jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, 
drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Attitudes are reflected in that list of words. And some of those things are in your lives. Some of these things show up in my life. And they are a picture of one who is walking according to his flesh, subjective to the temptations of Satan. In the midst of a spiritual battle that most of us don't recognize. Well, yeah, I got a little angry about that thing, you know, but I just, you know, you know that real jerk, you know, you just, you know, you know, I had a reason to be angry, you know, it's an, and I justify myself. But what happened when I got angry? I yielded to Satan. I gave him another little inch in my life and a move, and now he comes and does his second thing. He accuses me and says, look at you, and you say you're a believer in Christ. You're even a pastor, and you get angry. You see, I give room to Satan when I do things like that. But these are a picture. But in 22, it says this, but the fruit of the Spirit, when the Spirit of God rules in my heart and life, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, against such things there is no law. There's no accusation, nothing to accuse you. So there's a, a struggle, the battle that's going on, that's that between the flesh and the spirit in our lives. And I want to look at two things. I want to look at two attitudes specifically. This is what took me down this path to start with. But I needed to give you this context. I want to look at two attitudes that are prevalent. And I think every one of us probably dealt with these in one fashion or another during the week. First one I look at is anger. Now, you may call it... Um, Irritated, uh, maybe a little upset, but it's just some form of anger. That, that there's there's a vengeance tied to this if you could pull it off. And what's interesting to me is that in Matthew chapter five, Jesus makes a statement about anger in his context about uh, talking about uh, the religious folk and how they live their life. And in uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 21, he says this, You have heard that the ancients were told, You shall not commit murder. And whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, You good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says, You fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Try that one on for size. Jesus simply equates our anger with murder. I don't want to be there. You know, there's somebody on the other end of the phone who's being a real jerk by my assessment. I just hang up. That's what I'll do. And how's that any different than pulling out a gun and shooting him? In attitude. 
in heart. That's what Jesus is saying. So I need to take my, I need to take my anger seriously. In James chapter 1. Some of you may have two in your notes, I'm not sure. But it's chapter 1 anyway. James chapter 1, verse 19. This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone be, must be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. My anger isn't going to do anything to please God, to honor Him. It doesn't work His righteousness. It doesn't work a good thing. And I've got all the reason in the world I could justify all my anger for everything that's going on. It's righteous anger. It's murder. And the, right, the, the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. What am I going to do with these? Go over to chapter, uh, chapter 3, verse 13. My anger is not from God. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior, his deeds, and the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Chapter 4, verse 1. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members, in your flesh? You lust and you do not have, so you commit murder. You get angry. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. And this isn't from God, it's from below. Can I understand that about my anger? Can I understand that my attitude is a reflection of that spiritual battle and struggle that's going in on my daily life? And can I put it in that realm of major battle that God calls me to fight and to win? In Ephesians chapter 4, it says, uh, Be angry and sin not. Don't let the the sun go down on your wrath, lest you give Satan an opportunity. Anger comes out of you, resolve it, and resolve it quickly. Don't let the sun go down on on that anger that comes out of your mouth and your life and your heart. Because when you do, you give Satan room. This may be helpful to you in sorting things out in your own heart and life. I see it true for me. Anger is a result of seeking to be in control. I get angry when it doesn't happen my way, doesn't meet my expectations, whether for me personally or for you. If, if uh, someone doesn't treat you right, I'll get angry about that because it wasn't, it wasn't right, you know, because it didn't meet my expectations, my standards. My anger, the source of my anger is that I am striving to be in control in that situation. Somehow I live in that illusion that I have control. Maybe not, huh? 
Second thing I want to look at here is a look at anxiousness, anxiety. Matthew 6. For this reason I say to you, verse 25, for this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on it. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow, they neither reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life or 18 inches to your height. (laughs) And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory has clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the, the field which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith, Do not worry then, saying, What shall we eat, and what will we drink, and and what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, but your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. When I'm anxious... I'm not seeking God. And the remedy to that is to seek Him first. I'm looking down here and I'm, I'm seeing that I've repeated something here too because it fit both places. But it chokes out anxiousness, chokes out God's Word. In Luke chapter 8, verse 14. There was one, the soil, that was hard, and Satan came and snatched it up. But one of the other soils described in Luke 8 is the soil that is full of weeds. And these weeds, Jesus described, are the cares of the world. And we are anxious for those things, and the word of God dries up in us because our cares of this world choke out God's word. And how does that play out? You and I don't have faith to believe God for what he says, and so we get worried and we get anxious about something and we decide not to trust God, but we're going to try to work something out and we're going to be weary about what we do. Woe is me, and I'm going to waller in my pity, and, and consequently the word of God has no place in my heart and my life. And then one other example I give you here is to look at anxiousness is that it distracts us from God's call. Second Timothy four nine, the conclusion of his letter to Timothy, Paul says, "Demas has loved me, because he has loved this present world. His concern, his care for himself, took him away from Paul and the ministry that he was had in Rome. So life in the spirit doesn't leave much room for anger or anxiousness. I'm not going to find anger or anxiety in love, joy, peace." Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I'm not going to find it there. So how do I overcome these attitudes of anger and anxiety? One, recognize the source. We've already expressed that of the evil one. 
Galatians 5 and James 3 and 4. Sources our flesh and the temptation that we yield to in the Satan. We need to choose God's solution. We find that in James chapter 4 verse 7. Humbly submit yourself to God. Resist Satan and he will flee from you. Tough one is the humbling ourselves. Somehow we think we can overcome the, the things in our life that are difficult. And that's not the case. Humbly submit yourself to God, resist Satan, and he will flee from you. And then it says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Verse 8. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, that we read at the beginning, says, Be strong in the Lord and in his strength, not in your own. That's how we overcome. I'm choosing to trust you, Lord, for this insurance deal. I did that over and over again. And then I talk to somebody, and I get all irritated again, angry. You see, be strong in the Lord. God, I'm giving this to you. I'm going to walk the path I have to walk. I'll talk to where I need to talk to, but help me, Lord, to be gracious and understand that you're in control. Give no opportunity for Satan. Resolve conflicts quickly. And pray about everything. Paul says, don't be anxious about anything, but pray about everything. And the peace of God, which passes human understanding, will guard your hearts as you quietly trust in Christ Jesus. And you have a model in Jesus who was tempted like we are, yet without sin. Hebrews 4, you can read that. First Peter says Jesus was reviled. But he reviled not back in turn. When people were angry toward him, he didn't return the anger. But he entrusted himself to God who deals righteously. And I find in Philippians chapter 2, and a lot of this I'm giving to you is just some core things to go back and read and study for yourself. But see the model of Jesus. It says in, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, Let this mind attitude be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Though he was equal with God, did not see that as something to hang on to. Though you are a believer and have a relationship with God, that's not something for you to grasp and flaunt to the whole world and hold and protect. He said, let this mind be in you, which was like Jesus, who though he was equal with God, did not grasp that, but he emptied himself, took on the form of a human being, a servant, and was obedient unto death, even death on the cross. And that's what he calls us to. A relationship with him that's based on I'm not here for me in this life. I'm here for you, Lord. And I'm here to honor you and please you. And I'm going to do what you've asked me to do. Whatever the cost is to me. This is temporary. Eternity's a long time. And I want to be pleased with you there. I want you to be pleased with me. How do I do that? Core issues back down to what is my way, God's way. Other interests, self-interest. I come down to this simply in Luke chapter 9. Jesus said this in overcoming the flesh, the struggle that we have. 
You want to be my disciple? Deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow me. Hang it up. Daily. Evidently he understands the difficulty we have each day. The summary of the, the, of the passage in Galatians chapter 5 of the flesh and the spirit and, 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 and the fruit of the spirit after those who live by the spirit have crucified the flesh, it says. Paul gave the testimony in Galatians in chapter 2 verse 20. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, it's Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's rock bottom. Let it die. Crucify it. Live by faith. In the book, uh, Conspiracy uh, of the Heart, um, uh, Dallas Willard makes a statement. He said, uh, become a person who doesn't get angry. <clears throat> Rather than focusing your attention and trying to control your anger, become one who doesn't get angry. And I said, how do you do that? Well, you choose God's perspective. One, he's sovereign in every situation we're in. And he's powerful. He can do whatever needs to be done. Nothing limits him. And he's good. I would have despaired if I hadn't believed I'd see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. God's causing all things to work together for good for those who love him. Called according to his purpose. Choose God's perspective. He's sovereign, he's good, and he loves you. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called his child, and such we are. And remember that he's your provider. He provides for you out of all of his resources and glory. And he says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. And he says, he who promised is faithful. Hold your confidence. And if I understand that perspective, I don't need to get angry about anything because God knows all about it and he's at work. I don't need to be anxious about anything because God's at work, knows all about it. I saw a picture in the register. I just want to leave it with you. Can I just trust the Father? Can I come to that place that I just trust the Father and what he said and who he is? Father, I want to thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word. I thank you for all the promises and instructions you give us and how to live a life that results in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Lord, we desire that for our hearts and lives. And uh, we come to you today. We offer ourselves to you in fresh. Thank you for your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness to us in Jesus. And we thank you in his name. Amen. Go in the grace of our Lord Jesus. Amen.